I'm ready. Welcome, one and all, to episode 183 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have Joey Vera of Armored Saint. This was recorded um, about a month ago. Uh, I just have not been able to uh, edit and put this out until now. I recorded this interview with John Bush's interview pretty much back-to-back. And, uh, yeah, so some of the things that we discuss are relevant to back then. So if you ask me why I asked him about Martin Birch and Frankie Benali, but not Eddie Van Halen, it's because Eddie hadn't died yet. Um, also, uh, we discuss, we kind of touch upon the uh, live stream that they did. That's still available up until November 9th. So if you haven't checked it out yet, you sure can do so if you want to. It's 10 bucks, if I'm not mistaken. It's armoredsaint.veeps, V-E-E-P-S dot com. Uh, there will be links in the show notes to that. And, uh, yeah, so this was a lot of fun talking to Joey. I've talked to him several times over the years, and it's it's always been great. Um, he seems to enjoy uh, our conversations, uh, I don't know. <laughs> At least that's what that's what he. Um, that's how we leave things. At least he seems to thank me for uh, every time that I speak to him. And I'm not sure if that's the case with everyone. Who knows? Could be, but uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Uh, anyway, so this Joey episode is roughly around an hour long. Um, there is bonus content that uh, will be part of the new uh, Patreon page that I've set up. I actually had Patreon set up a long time ago. Uh, you've heard me talk about the show that I do with Mark Striegel uh, over there on Patreon. I'm still doing that. I'm still doing um, – I'm still posting for Mark on his Patreon. Uh, the thing is he wanted to shift gears and wanted to do things a little different and I kind of wanted to continue doing what I was doing there because I was getting a lot of good feedback from people. And uh, so I'm doing that on my Patreon page. Um, there are links to it on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Essentially, for two bucks, you're going to be getting a, a boatload of videos uh, from groups you may or may not know. Um, you're also going to be getting a weekly podcast that will only be available there, the Victor M. Ruiz uh, podcast. And if you do the $5 tier, you're also going to be getting the um, cutting room floor type um podcast where there's material that uh, wasn't included in podcasts that I've released. So, uh, for example, I've already released some additional content with John Bush. Uh, There will be Joey Vera bonus content that will be released shortly. Uh, If you go to, again, MarsAttacksRadio.com, there's a link right there at the top and bottom of the page to to the Patreon, and there are several 
different um, levels that you can that you can jump in on anywhere from two to twenty five bucks, depending on what you want. And um, uh, you know, um, like I said, there's weekly show. There's the cutting floor behind the scenes content. Uh, if you jump up to ten bucks, you get a T-shirt, and then at twenty five, it's essentially all that stuff plus a monthly live Q and A and additional live streams. And there's going to be fan requests involved there as well. So uh, if you are so inclined, go there and sign up. If not, you know, I'm I'm no idiot. I know why people are going to Mark Striegel's uh, Patreon. It's because of him. Uh, I've been running that essentially for him for the last two years. Uh, I've been trying to encourage him to do more on there, which I think he's going to do. And, um, yeah, the show that I do with him is a lot of fun. Uh, just talking back and forth with him about music and just different different things. If you haven't checked it out, I, I definitely recommend you do so. Um, and that's, again, similar to my deal. It's two bucks a month for, for his stuff. Not, not a whole lot. Um, I realize times are tough. Uh, people, you know, are having a hard time making ends meet, not holding a gun to anyone's head, but uh, it's it's there. Both things are available. I get a chunk out of each, obviously. Um, outside of that, there are Amazon links on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Due to Amazon's new rules, I have to let you know that I am getting a piece of anything that um, that qualifies uh, if you use the links and go to their page. If not, you know, they're kicking people off. Uh, there are several podcasts that I know that have lost the ability to post Amazon links or get any sort of monetary uh, funds from them because they've changed their rules. Thankfully, I've still been compliant. So you can use that or you could do a PayPal donation. Uh, if you prefer, there's at the top of the page, there's a support the site uh, link there in the menu. You could do that. And uh, also there is a link to merch. You can check out the uh, merch as well. If you are so inclined, then pick up a, a piece of merch. I've added some new pieces to it. So, um, yeah, sorry. I have my uh, uh, Alexa Echo show there letting me know that there's movement with my security cameras, so I apologize. I forgot to turn it off. Anyway, other things that are that are new to uh, Mars Attacks. Been doing a a weekly live stream up on Facebook and Twitter and Twitch and Periscope. And that goes down Fridays at 6 p.m. Eastern. And what I've been doing is extracting the audio and including that as part of this uh, podcast feed as well. Hopefully you guys uh, check that out. We'll be getting live guests on there shortly. Uh, could be anything from you know other podcasters that I'm uh, friends with or guests. We'll see how it all shakes out. I'm still trying out a lot of different things. And uh, it's always fun to go on there, get some get some feedback from people. There is chat that kind of unilaterally connects uh, for me with a, a streaming service that I'm using to, to connect all these different pieces together. And um, yeah, so, you know, that's easy, whatever 
happens happens with that. Not a whole heck of a lot of editing with the audio for this week. I did I did edit out all my coughing. Been fighting a cold amongst other things, and uh, of course was good throughout the entire day. But just started coughing my ass off when I was doing that. So um, in any event, go to. Again, MarsTaxRadio.com. There's links to everything. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Uh, the uh, feed up there on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, RSS feed, the Telegram group, TikTok, um, Reddit, uh, Discord, which I'll be using in the future. And uh, again, Periscope, Twitch, YouTube, and Patreon. Uh, I want to thank anyone that is listening to this. It is greatly appreciated. Um, if you know, uh, I can't thank you enough to be hanging out throughout the years, through all this time. It's been 11 years. I know that I haven't been. Um, I mean, there have been times where I haven't been able to put out shows for various reasons. I want to get back to doing things more frequently, at least by doing the live shows, you will have that, if nothing else, uh, which I'll be posting on here, and yeah, Um, we're gonna jump into music by Armored Saint, I don't want to, you know, talk your ears off more than necessary, almost 10 minutes so far, that's pretty much more than enough, Um, we're gonna jump into Standing on the shoulders of giants for a little bit, then we're going to jump on into the interview with Joey Vera from Armored Saint. Yeah. 
Playing in Fate's Warning, Motor Sister, and other things that you've been involved in over the years, how do you feel that that helps make Joey Vera better in Armored Saint? <laughs> well, uh, the main thing is uh, ex- the exposure with playing with different musicians has obviously uh, lifted my playing as a bass player. Um, and, uh, you know, just gain, you know, you gain so much experience and knowledge working with all kinds of different people, different musicians in different situations. You always come away with it with, with, uh, you know, with a hand, with a large, you know, portion of <laughs> beneficial stuff, you know? Right. So, um, I've learned so much from everybody that I've been involved with as, as a player, um, being, you know, in a band where, I'm not even necessarily uh, contributing songwriting wise, but just being in a band where I'm performing music written by someone else, such as Jim Mathales, for instance, from Fate's Warning, um, has definitely rubbed off on me. And, you know, I, I, I've analyzed and when I'm learning material and I I pay attention to the music, obviously, um, finding ways for me to weave in and out of it. Um, So I, I've learned a lot about songwriting you know, in that aspect as well. So, um, I think that, uh, all those experiences with all those people, um, Jim Mathales and, uh, like you said, the motor sister guys and, um, uh, Kevin Moore from dream theater, you know, like all the people that I've been, been, been involved with, uh, over the years has definitely rubbed off on me and just, it's made me a better and more well-rounded musician. Um, as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Does that also make you approach each project differently as a player, as a bass player? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of taught me how to wear different hats, you know, right. uh, depending on the situation. Um, you know, my role in Armored Saint is one that's completely different than everything else I do. Um, sure. I, I'm, I tend to be more of a, I have a more of a leadership role in Armored Saint than any of the other bands. I don't have that really at all in the other bands I play with or the other groups I play with or any situation really. So in that sense, all the other situations I'm in requires me to be way more of a team player. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's a very valuable thing to be uh, a team player too, because, you need to know how and when to support uh, something going on musically or even, even, even in a conversation, let's say, um, um, I'm asked my opinions a lot, um, about things that involve kind of sort of like business decisions or, or aesthetics decisions about whatever, uh, with face warning and with motor sister. So, but being a person that's a, a team player, you know, I don't need to make my voice heard every single time. It's not, it's, it's not important for me to give my two cents for everything. You know, mm-hmm. I really, I just learned how to just 
kind of like give it when I felt like it was either asked or right. if I felt really strongly about something. But so I think that, uh, you know, being a team player is very valuable and um, it just helps you to know how to support what you're, what you're involved in. You know, um, you guys, people need to remember that it's a collaboration of sorts. And uh, I don't have a problem with somebody telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you need to fill in the blanks and you don't, someone some doesn't, they don't need to always tell you exactly what to do at every single time. And there's moments where you gotta, you have to use your own voice either through your instrument or by your speaking voice right. uh, to help out a situation musically or uh, musically or, or even just uh, socially, you know, so right. it's, those things are important. Yeah, that's that's kind of something that John explained to me yesterday as well with Punching the Sky and, and with the, the songwriting process that you guys have done over the years where maybe even if you have composed something, when you present it to the rest of the band, you know, the, the loose idea that you have for some of the other parts, it's still up for that person to kind of bring their recipe to the table and kind of make it fit within what you guys had in mind, but also within that person's playing. So it isn't 100%. You're not being a taskmaster, excuse me, a taskmaster all the time, but you're also looking for, you know, uh, Jeff or Phil or Gonzo to also bring their part to the table within your vision. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the characters are important, you know, and everyone has a different character, so a different take on things. And, uh, I'm always telling the guys, you know, I I use the term, make it your own. Uh, So, I mean, there are certain things, obviously, that are, you know, certain things that that if I've written something a specific way, then, of course, you know, they recognize that it should be played a specific way. But but there's a lot of times where you leave uh, little loose corners that can be filed down or filled in right. uh, either way uh, by their personalities. And I think that that's important. And it's especially true with, with of course, like added extra overdubs and guitar parts and soloing, you know, and, and it's especially true with John. And But, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it, it's a, um, I'm very, I'm hyper aware of this has to be a, uh, organic piece that that is not representation of me it's a representation of the of the group together sure Uh, stepping back a second to what you were saying about being a a team player do you think that it would be as easy for you to be a team player if armored saint wasn't part of the component um you, you mean uh, if I didn't have the experiences I've had with Faith's Warning and other groups? Uh, I guess what I'm referring to is obviously the the role that you play in Armored Saint is, as you explained, completely different to what it is in the other yeah. bands. As a result, yeah. you're able to become a team player with these bands because you do have Armored Saint to write, to oh, produce, and stuff like that. So if you didn't have that component, if you weren't able to express yourself the way that you do with Armored Saint through your playing and through your composing and producing, do you think it would be as easy for you to be a team player with these other bands? That's a good question. Uh, I would hope so, you know. Right. Uh, I would hope, yeah, I would hope so, because I, I do feel like there's a... a 
a it's a very valuable thing to be a team player. Um, I never I would never think otherwise than that. So I think uh, I think that the smart and uh, knowledgeable players um, are team players, um, and so whether you're a leader or not um, shouldn't really come into the play of that. Uh, I, I do think that, uh, you know, I started out as a, as pretty much a team player. Um, in the early days of Armored Saint, we never had any leaders in our band. We were five leaders, five reluctant leaders. No one wanted to ever be the leader. And then all five of us wanted to be the leader at the same time. <laughs> right. So it was, it was a terrible situation, actually. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we had growing pains and we learned how to deal with it and i you know it just evolved into where what we are now up up until now but um so i you know i I would hope to think that even if i was still a team player from early days that i would would still be able to be a good team player even 30 years in 40 years in you know um i mean if you think about it like when you first start out as a as a in a band and you know a bunch of guys getting together in a room and you're young and you're you're naive, basically. Um, you all start out as team players, really, because right. um, you're all doing this for the first time and you're all learning at the same time. So you kind of start out as team players. And, you know, through evolution, uh, things, you know, certain personalities sometimes take a hold and one guy turns out to be a better writer than the rest of the guys. And then suddenly he becomes the leader in the band or whatever. But, um, but I think in the get-go, in the beginning, we all start out that way mm-hmm. as team players. So I would, I never would, I, I hold a lot of value to being a team player. Okay. From the press release, it really seemed like you were happy with how you were able to produce, um, record, and mix "Win Hands Down," and it really seems like you didn't want to mess with that part of the system going into punching the sky. Is that a fair assessment or were there certain things that you did feel that need needed to be addressed from that side of things? No, I think you're right in the first place that uh, for me, it felt like uh, I was really happy with the end result and the process of making them hands down with um, those three guys who played the major part of the technical side of things. Uh, Josh Newell, Bill, Bill Matoyer, and Jay Rustin, uh, who mixed it in the end. Uh, uh, it was important for me to, uh, I, I wanted to have their, uh, I wanted to, I trust them. So since I trust them, uh, I wanted to work with them again in the same capacity. I didn't want the record to sound the same. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It's right. more about the process. Mm-hmm. And the the process of working that we had working with them was was really great. Um, I respect each one of them uh, for their individual talents. I I rely on each one of them for their opinions and their suggestions and their support. And um, you know, there's a lot of moments where I'm second guessing myself, <laughs> and it's. And I trust these guys, so it's it's in it's in these moments that I open myself up and say, you know, will you? Uh, I need your help, you know. And they and they graciously give their help. So um, I'm, yeah, that, that that's the main reason. Um, 
for that. And I, I'm really happy with how things turned out this time as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that although the process was the same, both albums sonically sound so different. And I, I think that that's something that you guys have done from Symbol of Salvation onward, kind of around the time that you had a larger role uh, in the production side of things. It, you know, each album was a slight, like, turning of the wheel where it had, you know, sonically some ingredients that the album before it didn't didn't have. So it seems like everything just continues to, to evolve. And sonically, you know, for me going in, I didn't expect anything to sound better than Win Hands Down, but I do think that Punching the Sky sonically sounds better than Win Hands Down. Well, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I wasn't. <laughs> We, we were certainly not trying to outdo Win Hands Down. Um, right. <laughs> um, a lot of people came to me uh, in the beginning, uh, well, not, no, in the last year, couple years, and, and they said, when are you going to start writing a new record? And, and when you do, how are you going to outdo Win Hands Down? <laughs> you know, the bar is so high, you know? Right. And I'm like, oh, man. And I'm like, don't ask me that question. You know, I don't want that pressure. And, and I never think of things that way ever. So I didn't think right. about that this time either, but you're correct. Um, we, you know, I think that, I think it's fairly intentional uh, with us to um, try to grow and stretch our wings each time we make a record. Um, and it, you're right that it's, it really kind of started to shine in a way at, at symbol of salvation. And I, I think there's reasons for all this. Um, you know, we came out of the early 80s and we did three three records with Chrysalis. And, you know, we were part of a new wave of heavy metal that was happening. And right. so we were really influenced by what was around us. Um, Saxon, Motorhead, early Def Leppard, um, Iron Maiden, you know, some Judas Priest and stuff. And so that really uh, influenced us in the very beginning. Um, now, mind you, we've always been listening to other types of music throughout our whole lives. Um, mm -hmm. We all listen to R&B and we all listen to, uh, we're big fans of Queen or Finn or Fin Lizzy or UFO and, you know, different types of hard rock or R&B or, or, you know, just music in general. Right. So it was this kind of this period where we were dropped from Raising Fear and getting ready, uh, trying to find another record deal uh, before we made, uh, it was it was in the late 80s i'd say 87 88 89 um and we didn't have a record deal we couldn't get one it was a strange uh place to be in we were frustrated but we did so much woodshedding we wrote something like 24 26 songs and some of those some of the songs and some of the influences started to creep in from places that we hadn't really touched on before and so Symbol was kind of the first, I would say, quote unquote, diverse record right. that we made. And um, I think that that was a turning point for us and, and embracing that sort of uh, that situation. Um, and it wasn't really until like La making La Raza where I sort of was looking around our whole career and catalog and, and really noticing that and analyzing why and how this all evolved and took place and I started to realize that every record we've made 
was slightly different than the one that came before it. Right. Um, even even the first three records on Chrysalis, they're all slightly different. Um, mm-hmm. And so I realized that we've been this band that's kind of been on our own island the whole time. <laughs> right. And um, and it, 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 I started to say, this is maybe this is the sound that we've been trying to look for for the whole, the whole time. And mm-hmm. we've always been doing it. You know, we've always kind of had it, but we just couldn't recognize it. And, and we let, maybe we let some uh, insecurities influence us too much in the, <laughs> in the, during the eighties, you know? Um, so at this point when we're, where we're at now, um, I do think that we're really feel comfortable and we really embrace this kind of um, diversity aspect that I think that we have. And, you know, it's largely due to myself and John's take and taste on the type of music that we're writing and the stuff that we want to take chances with and challenge ourselves with and uh, experiment with, you know? So uh, it's a, pretty cool feeling to have this kind of, I call it a freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, because it, it's just, a, it's a fun place to write music. It's a, it's very self gratifying. Um, and John and I both agree on this and we, we don't take it lightly, likely that we're really lucky to be in this place that we have. We can do this. We have a loyal fan base that comes with us and they, and they appreciate our diversity and they, they go with us taking chances. And also the fact that we have a record label that kind of lets us work on our own pace and they let us work, make records when we want to make records. And they, they let us write the kind of music that we want to write. And they, they don't put any time schedules on us. And it's a, like, that's a really hard thing to find these days. Right. So we're pretty lucky. Yeah, and and to your point, um, with taking chances and experimenting and and everything else, um, I mean, to me, what you just described is spot on. It's it's a perfect way of describing the album. Uh, I mentioned this to John uh, yesterday. I mean, there are several parts of this album where you know it elicits goosebumps on my behalf. I mean, the first time that I heard "Standing on the Shoulders of Giants." The whole song, I had goosebumps throughout. I mean, there's so many different twists and turns in the song and just unexpected things that happen throughout the song um, that it's just kind of exhilarating. It really emotes a certain, a specific set of emotions. Um, The album throughout, I mean, just the diversity from, you know, Lone Wolf, which is something completely different to what you guys have done in such a long time. Uh, something like Unfair. Yeah. I I described to him yesterday. Every time that I listen to Unfair, and it's to me, it's such a cinematic song. It's like watching, I don't know, for lack of a better term, but like watching like uh, like a Marvel movie, and you're with with the hero and he's getting his ass kicked the whole time and then once you get to that end where it kind of transitions where everything kicks in in unfair mm-hmm. it's like where the hero or the main character kind of turns the tables and does what he needs to do to get through what's taking place and once that solo comes in at the end it's like the icing on the cake it just elevates everything to the next level so <laughs> i mean <laughs> 
That's great. That's great to hear. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I re- really enjoy the album. I, I told John yesterday, I was scared to listen to this because I liked Wind Hands Down so much. There's so many bands that we know that over the years, you get to a point where you love them, but the well runs dry, and you're like, fuck, don't let, you know, ho- hopefully this album is as good as the last one. Um <laughs> And, you know, I heard I heard End of the Attention Span, like most of us, as the single, and I was like, wow, this is great. But let's hope it's not a one and done, and, and once, you know, the beginning to Standing on the Shoulders of Giants came in, just from the intro on, I was like, all right, you're an asshole for doubting this band. <laughs> you know, it was one of those <laughs> things where it was like, you know, they've never let you down before, so it was just so comforting to just dive into it and just really enjoy the album, so... That's, I mean, that's that's great to hear. You know, I mean, we look. Y- y- it's hard. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, people would were coming to me, and they, you know, they start in my ear. You know, how are you going to help do wind hands down? You know, and and what 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 dis- what direction are you going in next? Kind of thing. And I and I just I just can't think in those terms. You know, I just I can't. Um, I really have to just like pull bootstraps up and just say, all right, let's see what happens now. You know? Um, and so that's really like how John and I work. Um, we, we do have this kind of, uh, uh, we have a similar credo with each other about, we like music that makes you feel the things that you're describing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, we want music to move, you know, we we have you know some of the, some of our favorite bands. We have that same experience with some of the records that I listen to from them, um, and I want to I want to recapture that. You know, and you don't know if you, you have no idea what people are going to think about it. You know, right. you I, you just I just don't I can't, and I'm not writing for I'm not writing for our fans in that way. Like I'm going to make you happy. You know, right. I can't think i can't do that that's it's just it's impossible to me to try to to go at it in that way so what we do is we try to just write kind of from our heart you know what are we feeling right now and Mm -hmm. what are we inspired by right now and so this is how we get to this place we always want the music to sound epic we want it to feel epic we want we want choruses to be uplifting. You know, those are things that we are certainly uh, pretty conscious about. But how we get there mm-hmm. is like anything anything goes, man, as far as we are considered, like no holes barred. Uh, look, of course, I'm, I'm well aware of our parameters of, you know, we're a, we're a we're a hard rock heavy metal band. I know that. Right. Um, you won't be hearing, you know, I don't know. You won't be hearing polka or you won't be hearing, <laughs> you know, I don't know, like, you know, hip hop or, you know, it, I know the realm within we're working and I'm very conscious of that. And I do have some idea about what the context of people are expecting from us, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be completely adhered to that. I need to feel some sense of freedom. So does John to express ourselves in a way uh, that we think it's interesting and it adds something to the music that we're writing. And it's 
it makes us really happy. We'd be lying to tell if we didn't say that it makes us happy to hear that it reaches people in a way that you just described. Um, that's like that's like success for us right there. Right. I, I think to, for me and for a lot of listeners, you know, the band and and for me, I jumped on in Symbol of Salvation because of my age. You know, that was what was on MTV. That was you know the the one thing, yeah. you know, that was where I got introduced to the band. So I think from then on, you know, the band has definitely become, you know, for me and for a lot of people that have been around the band for a lot longer, have become part of the soundtrack to our lives. You know, songs that you turn to when the shit hits the fan and it there's a bad, you know, bad point in your life and you need to turn to you know music to comfort you or to get you out of a certain mood you know you're pissed off you want to listen to you know a specific song uh just different emotions that are evoked by music that the band has done over the years and i think that's probably why people came to you after win hands down because the album was so good to say what are you going to do next you know what's the next memory that you're going to create for us you know, that's, I think, what a lot of people, why a lot of people come to you and and ask you those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like so much pressure. <laughs> but, uh, right. but, you know, I have to I have to say, like, uh, you, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I can say that that's true, because it's not for me to decide that. But right. if if it is true, what you say and. And I, and I hope it is true. And if it is true for many people, then that's a great thing. I mean, that's, I, I'm, I feel honored obviously to be a part of that. Um, and this is, this was our goal to begin with. Like when we were 19, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you want to play the arenas and you want to sell records and you want to be, be famous or whatever, but you want to reach people. You want to touch people. You want right the way that the, that the, your favorite bands touched you when you were 19, you know? Right. So if the fact that, um, that if, okay, if this is true and if we're still touching people in this way, like 30 years on, that's a pretty amazing thing. Right. <laughs> and I don't mean to pack, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just being objective about it. Sure. That's a pretty cool thing. And you know, we're not the only band that, that, that has this, if it's true. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of bands that have long careers and, and they never let their fans down or they, or people can rely on them. Like you said, to comfort them in times of trouble. And, and, and I, I feel like if that's true, I, we're the fucking luckiest people on the planet. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to us that we can still do this, uh, at the tender age of 57. <laughs> right. Cool. Um, with some of the intros to this album, or some of the intros to the songs, obviously you guys took some chances, whether it's Gonzo's intro on uh, Never You Fret or the intro to the album. Um, were these things that you kind of had in mind going into these songs, or was it when you're sitting there you know, recording the songs or producing the songs, did the songs kind of beg to have you know these pieces added to them? Um, I, I think that when I, when I demo the songs, when I'm writing the songs, I, uh, I have pretty much been doing the same thing for the past three records. I, 
I make demos of the songs and I make very elaborate demos. I, I, I program all the drum machines and to make it sound human, uh, I play all the instruments. I even do mock guitar solos. I'm not the greatest guitar player, but I play mock guitar solos. I play all the guitars. I do everything except for any vocals. And I, and that's what I present to John. So when he gets it, it's like, it's like a produced album when he gets it. Right. So I'm, I'm usually trying to stoke his interest and stoke his uh, inspiration, you know. But when I make the demos, um, I often, uh, for the most part, I'm making up these intros right then and there. Okay. Um, so I do, I feel like it's part of the song. Like it's something that is not added on later necessarily. Sometimes I add something at the end, but I'd say 90% of the time it's part of the song that would, that was, uh, even if it's just a, a production value thing, it's something that I put in there intentionally for the song. Um, a little, a little bit of back history, which is maybe where this came from, is when I was writing for um, for the record La Raza in 2008 and nine. is when I was doing the writing for that. Um, I used to do this thing. Started out with one first song I gave John. I forget what song it was, but I gave him a song, and it didn't have an intro. But I took. I used to take uh, like movie quotes some, from some of our favorite movies, like. Uh, Scarface or The Thing or Excalibur or The Road Warrior, or, uh, Blue Velvet, you know, one, just some of my favorite movies. And I just pick out these, these one or two lines from a movie and it like, it just completely set the mood for the, for the song. And, and after like about the fifth or sixth time I was doing it for every single demo, I was sending the John. And by the sixth time, he was like, dude, these intros are like amazing. It just, it, 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 it all, like, I already know what to write about before I even hear the song hit, you know? And, uh, and it, and that just kind of like, it just was a fun thing. You know, it was nothing really like, Oh, you know, I'm going to put this on the record or anything. It was just a lot of fun and it, and it just brought a smile to both our faces and it was just goofy kind of, but when I was writing for wind hands down and for this record, it kind of became more of the process of like an intro, you know, how does the song start? What's the first thing you hear? You know, like that became part of the song. So for me, it's pretty important that uh, if I feel like a song uh, is begging for it, it usually tells me right away, like, Hey, you know, you need something, whatever world music sounding or creepy or, right. you know, subsonic or whatever. You need something, you know, you need to put something here. It usually tells me right away. So most of those intros are were were written or put there from the get go. Okay. Is there anything that you tend to listen to before going into writing an album? I mean, do you go back and listen to any influences? Do you go back and listen to any of your previous work and, and use that to kind of, you know, get the get the juices flowing before writing stuff? Um, I don't do it consciously. I think it's more like, uh, you know, we got off tour and, uh, I think we came off a Queensryche tour and I took a month off of just decompressing. And then I think it's during that time when, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say to myself, okay, today I'm going to start writing, you know, <laughs> right. it's more like, it's more like I'm just, I just start listening to music really for no reason at all, except for just the joy of it, you know? And I tend to listen to a lot of 
old music, you know, the mm-hmm. music I grew up on in the seventies and stuff. And the only thing that I can really recall specifically is when I was starting to write for uh, this record, I was on this Chicago kick. Okay. Uh, I just, I was listening to all kinds of Chicago and uh, mostly the old stuff. Uh, and um, and not, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the real later poppy stuff, but the, but the earlier stuff is just phenomenal to me. And I started to just like, you let your mind wander. And then I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, and then you get sucked in and I'm like, what, what are they doing? Like, how did they set this? The first eight bars of this song have nothing to do with the rest of the song. How did they do that? You know, right. what is, what is that? You know? So I started d- digging in a little deeper and, and started listening to the arrangements and, how the songs are moving along and arranged and, and I really love arranging songs. It's something that I, I take a lot of joy in and, um, and I find challenging to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the Chicago thing was the launching pad for me. I, I, I think I wrote one of the first things I wrote was bark, no bite. Um, and the intro to that song, um, came from by, you know, jumping an off block from Chicago. And huh. I wrote that piece with horns in my, in my head, you know, like oh, that. Wow. this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be played with trombones and trumpets and saxophones. And that's what my initial thought was. But then I said, well, I, I don't want, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's put it into a rock context, you know? So then I rewrote and arranged the sections and played it well on the guitars. And, um, but that's, and and I an example of 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 where where my head comes from and goes goes to you know in the beginning and but after that you know I don't necessarily go back and start looking for other inspirations it just sort of starts to snowball um, you know I have to admit like certain things uh, like let's say. Uh, end of the attention span was, was brought to me. The beginning riff was something that Phil gave me. And, um, I t- took his riff and kind of turned it into a song. Cause he, he didn't really have a song. It was just one part. Um, but while I was writing the song, I felt it at a different tempo and I changed the tempo. And then uh, suddenly I found myself like, Oh, well this is suddenly feeling something familiar to me. And, and it reminded me of, of something from, it reminded me a little bit of, of like, uh, of chemical euphoria huh. yeah, a little bit. And I thought, I thought, Oh, well, how can I exploit this a little bit more without it sounding overt, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and, but also how can I make it feel more modern as well? I don't want to make it sound, uh, too nostalgic. You know, I want it to be now, I want it to sound modern and forward thinking, um, the song Never You Fret is another example. Uh, I I don't know where the idea originally came from, but um, when I was writing the riff, I suddenly it dawned on me that I was basically channeling Dave Pritchard. I said to myself, this is something that Dave would write, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, this is perfect. Let's, I mean, I gotta, I have to exploit this further. You know, Dave has always been a part of our band and he had a big part of, he has a big part of our sound because he was, he was there in the beginning and he wrote a lot of those classic riffs that we know uh, from Dave. And so 
he plays differently than I do. And so when it came, when it came, I stumbled across this part, I said, Oh, well, this is, I feel like Dave's trying to tell me something here. <laughs> right. So I embraced it and I and went with it and I, and uh, I, I ran with it and I said, this is, this is cool. This is, this is, this sounds like Armored Saint. So those are just like some examples really. Okay. Um, how did playing Symbol of Salvation in its entirety feel to you uh, back in 2018? And do you think that playing that album had any bearing at all in what you ultimately wrote on this album? Well, it was really fun to do. Uh, it was really it was challenging, and it was a fun thing to pull off. Uh, I wouldn't say it was easy. Uh, playing a record in its entirety was, it was challenging, you know, Mm -hmm. because, uh, the record, you know, the record sequence, it's a, it's a record sequence, you know, so it works as an album when you're listening to it, but it doesn't necessarily work in a live setting. Right. (laughs) We found out it's not, (laughs) you know, like you, you, you tailor your live shows a certain way for certain reasons. You know, you have a big blast in the beginning and then you have a lull in the middle and you have another blast at the end and you know or you can have a few valleys but um so playing was it was challenging to make it work it was challenging to pull it off some of the songs we'd never played before right um i think i think having done songs the songs that we have never played before was really inspiring uh, for us I, I don't necessarily it was directly inspiring inspiring to the writing of the record, but it was certainly okay. inspiring to maybe remind us of these deep tracks and they're, they're somewhat uh, unique songs, you know, burning question, uh, uh, you know, it's an unusual song mm-hmm. and it, it was surprising to us how great it came across live and how much people were singing along to it. And we thought, wow, this is, this is weird why didn't we ever play this song before? Like people love this song. Um, and it sort of gave it a new light, like a completely new light to us. Like, you know, 28 years later, we're like, wow, we never knew this deep cut was like so adored and could work well in a live setting. You know, we had no idea. So, um, you know, I, I think maybe if anything, anything at all, maybe subconsciously, uh, again, this isn't something I really thought about, but, I think some, you're not the first person who asked this actually um, in okay. the next, last week or two. Um, but it's interesting to hear that uh, question um, because I think maybe subconsciously it did remind us like, Hey, you know, remember your turning point record. You know, a lot of people love, we were first introduced to that record. That was their first introduction to Armored Saint. And it was a turning point for us for the reasons I kind of described about, you know, where we went, what we went through and, the songwriting process and everything. And so it kind of maybe you shed a little bit of a re- reminder about, about the, uh, you know, the variety and the, the, how we can have variety in our writing and you can make it work and you can have short songs, you know, like that are effective, you know, and, and I kind of kept that in mind a little bit when I was writing this record, you know, like, can I, can I make a, a song that's really epic and, and huge and uplifting, but I can, can I do it within four and a half minutes? Does it have to be six minutes? You know, right. can, can I accomplish it with a, sh- can I accomplish this with a shorter arrangement? You know, and I found that to be really challenging and refreshing for me. And, and maybe, maybe doing symbol 
subconsciously reminded me about that. Okay. Um, was there ever a thought of holding on to this album and releasing it later on after things with the pandemic cleared up, or did you guys were you guys dead set on releasing this now when it was ready to go? We did talk about that for about fifteen minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was short, but we did say, "Hey, you know, maybe we should wait. You know, let's see how things turn out, kind of thing." and you know, is this right? Are we going to, is this a bad time? You know? Um, but like I said, 15 minutes later, it's like, wait for what, you know, we, right. <laughs> my wife, my wife and I were saying to each other, like starting, like we had our lockdown start around March 12th or something in LA. Yeah. And <laughs> ever since March 12th, we've been saying to each other, okay, let's wait two weeks and see what happens. Okay, let's wait two more weeks and see what happens. Okay, let's wait two more weeks and let's see what happens. And then here we are, like, we're in early June. Okay, let's wait two more weeks and see what happens. Let's <laughs> wait two more weeks. And we've been we've been doing this ever since, right? So right. when we were putting this on the schedule, which was right around the right around the middle of May, I would say, we were like saying the same things, like, okay, look, we've been waiting for since <laughs> March twelfth. Nothing's changing. Right. This couldn't, nothing could change until the end of the year. Nobody knows. So right. what are we waiting for? Waiting for what? Waiting, what's going to, waiting for what? More than ever, it's clear. People are hunkered down and they're alone at home and pe people lost their jobs. And some people are stuck working from home. Some people uh, don't have homes. I mean, there's a lot bigger problems here. And, Music is is an antidote. I mean, mm -hmm. this people need people need this now. I mean, you know, I'm not saying you know, Armored Saints here to save the day. You know, that's not what I mean. <laughs> right. It's more like a fan. Our fans, they don't want to wait. Our, what do our fans want to wait for? They, mm -hmm. they they don't want to wait for things to get better because they're on the same boat. We're in the same boat. So it's like let's let's get let's reconnect with our fans. Like right now, what we don't want to do it later. I want to reconnect with them now. I need, I need them and they need us and we need each other. What are we waiting for? We're not, it will be stupid to wait. So we said the hell with that. Get, let's get this record out and let's, let's do it kind of as soon as possible. <laughs> um, so, you know, we felt like, um, uh, we, at that point we wanted to have enough set up time and, Metal Blade's been really great about putting all these ducks in a row and getting all these things set up for us to introduce us, reintroduce us back into the world and uh, share our music with everybody. And so uh, they've been doing a great job and they, they love ample time to do it. And everything's been really, everyone's been really supportive and you, you included, you know, and everyone that I've been speaking to. And so, yeah. Dude, there was no time. There was, it didn't make any sense to wait. It, it, we just needed it. And I think, I think I'm right about this too, because a lot of people have been messaging us saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this right now. You know, this is what I need. And this is a comfort. It's comforting me. And, um, it's making me, it's making me have something to look forward to. Um, and, uh, so I think that I'm, I think it was a good move. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've kind of read and I actually interviewed other people when I've I've proposed the same question. You know, I've had people 
that are now releasing albums, <laughs> you know, that it said, oh, we're going to wait till this all kind of blows over. But uh, similar to you, our lockdown on this side of the world over in Europe, <laughs> um, we were locked down, same thing, March 13th, roughly, and kind of the same deal. And I had interviewed someone from a band up in Sweden. And he had mentioned, you know, I I write constantly. He said, I can't sit on this album for a year. He goes, because by the time, if if this takes a year to get over, I'm going to have another album ready to release. And he said, you know, I'll, I'll hate this album by the time, you know, that that time comes because I'll want to put my new stuff out. And, you know, I'll still have this older stuff on the shelf waiting to come out. So, you know, I, I get exactly yeah. what, what you're saying, you know, and, and I agree with you. I mean, the, I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised with the album. And, and I think a lot of fans, not only diehard fans, people that have casually liked Armored Saint, this is kind of something that they're, they'll really get into, I think. So, I agree with everything that you said. Great. Great. Um, I, I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. Um, <laughs> Martin Birch recently passed away, and obviously he produced a lot of albums that, similar to what I mentioned before, has become you know the soundtrack of our lives. Um, yeah. What did Martin mean to you from a producing standpoint? Was there anything that you felt that maybe you studied from albums that he worked on or anything in general that you feel that you were able to take from albums that he was a part of? Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he made some of my favorite records as, as a lot of us, you know, will it will also agree with. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't. I couldn't really intellectualize that the question that you just asked until I was a little bit older and got more into production and more technical side of stuff too. But growing up, you know, those records like they they made you feel a certain way, right. and each record that he made, they never sounded the same. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that. Like he, it wasn't like a Mutt Lang thing where you said, "Oh, that sounds like Mutt Lang." You know? Yeah. That's a Mutt Lang snare drum. You know. Martin didn't have that. Martin would bring out the best in each band for each record. And each one was a little different than the one before, again, with this theme and, and, and why this is important for us, you know? So as a band, uh, we got that from people like Martin Birch. Um, every record was treated differently and it's, 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 it has its own life, you know? Um, but I think maybe like when I began to, become more of a fan and analyze stuff more. And I, I, I never met him, but I would like to think that he's a true rock and roller at heart, meaning that he, he probably never overanalyzed the process too much. He was more about capturing a moment uh, and capturing a vibe uh, from a band. I'm guessing that most of the records he played, he produced were all performed live for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell in certain parts, there's certain things, there's a few things on, uh, number of the beast, for instance, where the timing of the drums, there's this one section of, I forget what song it is, but it sounds like a kind of like, sec, it kind of sounds like a mistake, you know? <laughs> and for the longest time, I was like, why did he let that go? You know, but it's not like a, it's not a mistake. It's not a huge mistake. It's, it's a, it's a human, it's human. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really says a lot about 
Martin and what he did and how he just made the band sound like they were on 11, you mm-hmm. know, for, I don't, I don't mean to I don't say that in jest really. I mean, I really mean it. And, you know, his records all sounded dangerous. You know, there's a certain danger and unexpectedness about them that, um, really it's just, it's undeniable, you know, that all the Sabbath records he did, it's just like, it's just creepy. It's insane, you know? <laughs> so I think that the thing that I got from him, I took away from him is, is don't forget to be human, you know, or don't, don't forget to let things breathe. And, you know, look, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I work in the box, meaning that I work in a, in the computer world mm-hmm. and I, the record was done on pro tools and, and we certainly have the ability of making things sound perfect, but I'm, uh, I never let myself go there. I'm always re- reining in like, eh, you know, rock and roll, man. It's, you know, remember it's rock and roll. It's human. Right. Don't, don't, don't put this under the microscope. It doesn't matter, you know? So, don't get me wrong. I want things to sound right, but I don't need them to sound perfect. Um, so I think that I learned that from a lot of that from Martin Birch, uh, as a, as a producer. And and I was reminded by that, this very topic and this very, uh, theory when I worked with Dave Jordan making symbol salvation, because he struck me as the same exact same person as I'm describing that I think Martin was, you know, uh, Dave, Dave was all about the danger, man. He was like, it's gotta be dangerous, you know? <laughs> and he was not about perfection. He was more about capturing that danger. And, uh, and I appreciated, I appreciated that uh, from him. And I, that's what I took from Dave. And, and, uh, again, I think it just backed up my feelings on what I think Martin brought me too. I mean, influenced me in a way for sure. Okay. And, Someone else who recently passed away was Frankie Benali of Quiet Riot. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how big mental health was going back and analyzing it. You know, for a kid that's getting into hard rock or heavy metal nowadays, probably don't realize how monumental it was for that album to go number one. Obviously, your first album came out a year later after Metal Health. Um How much did them breaking through have an impact for you guys as a band? Well, they opened the door, didn't they? I mean, for everybody. (laughs) Right. They were the one who, they didn't just open the door. They broke it down. They took it off its hinges and it it blew it up. I mean, you got to give kudos to that band. Uh, Frankie included. Uh, he, he, He played that beat that we all know and, and mm-hmm. is etched in our, our minds and whether you like them or not, doesn't matter mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that influence and that, uh, that stamp on at that time, they were, they did it. They did it pretty much by themselves, you know, here in America. It was like, before that, it was like heavy, what heavy metal. What that's what's, what's heavy metal. But when that record came out, everybody knew what heavy metal was. Uh, so, I mean, of course that's a super important moment. And I, people, I mean, I, to be honest with you, sometimes I, I, 
sometimes I would forget about that too, you know, cause I was so close to it and I was here, you know, and right. yeah, at the time it's, it's easy to criticize at the time. Cause you could say, wow, you know, it's, that's like pop music. That's not what we're doing, you know? So you mm-hmm. just, you can discount it, you know, but, but you gotta like, you gotta remember like <laughs> without that door being slammed, like bro- broken down, we may not be where we are today. Right. So, um, people, everyone has to remember that. And yeah. it, was, it was a sad thing. It was sad to see, it's a sad to see him go. And he was, uh, he was, um, a very cool dude. Um, even back in the day, even in the beginning, he was never a guy to be like, uh, what some of us knew Kevin Dubrow to be like, mm-hmm. um, Frankie was the opposite. He was outgoing. He had time for you. Uh, he was a really nice guy and an amazing uh, musician and a great drummer. And he definitely knew his shit. <laughs> Pardon right. my French. Uh, <laughs> he knew what he knew what to do and when to do it. And that's a smart musician. So it's a sad, sad thing that he passed. Yeah, absolutely. And and I did want to ask the question because of like you just mentioned, you know, they were kind of within the same scene as you guys were being a California band and and what it was like, you know, internally seeing that happen. Um, you know, and unfortunately, probably a lot of people don't realize it because they see things from the outside looking in, but you know, what you alluded to from Kevin, Kevin shared, you know, possible jealousy between bands and and whatnot and just rumors and and shit and that became a detriment to them but we all know that bands behind the scene don't always get along so for every band that takes off and is big there's x amount that's standing there that you know disapprove for whatever reason instead of you know thinking well you know we're all in this together you know it's great that a quiet riot or an armored saint has taken off. So let's support them instead of standing there with our arms folded and saying, fuck those guys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Um, John mentioned to me that you guys are doing, uh, uh like pay-per-view stream next month. Um, beyond that, what plans do you guys have for the band for the balance of this year and possibly next year? Um, well, we are getting ready to, um, to launch a second single next week. And then we're also, then we're doing this uh, virtual gig, uh, October 10th, it starts. And then, um, we're, uh, doing another single, um, and working on, a, a third video for that single, um, on release day on the October 23rd. So we have these two songs in the pipeline, uh, the next single and the third single. Um, and then really that's kind of about all that, uh, have, that's solidified. Okay. We still are in a, we're not in a place to make any plans beyond that. Um, because we don't know the state of the world. Um, can't book any dates anywhere because as far as I know, uh, there's a people to go into a venue like but it's like north carolina and like i don't know (laughs) there's a few states that are not abiding by this uh lockdown right (laughs) you know we're certainly not gonna we're not going anywhere until some things change (laughs) uh 
what that change is, I have no idea. Um, I really don't. I mean, I, I'm, we're all trying to stay positive and we're all trying to say like, look, maybe by the end of the year, there'll be a vaccine and doors will start opening again. And Europe will open its doors to Americans again. And I don't think our passports are even valid right at this point, to be honest with you, uh, over there. Um, and you know, I, I, I just, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, how long is it going to take before consumer confidence is going to be enough for them to feel comfortable going to in a venue with 500 people or a thousand people or 15,000 people? How long is that going to take mm-hmm. like three months, a year? No, I don't know. Nobody, no one has the answers to that. So, right. uh, it's, very difficult to make plans when you, when you, <laughs> you don't know those answers. Um, so, you know, I'll be honest with you. The only thing that we are kind of keeping an eye on is this is, is, uh, is video content. Cause this is the only way we can really keep our faces out there and keep music out there. And so who knows, maybe we'll make a fourth video, you know, sometime <laughs> in the next four months or five months. Um, you know, maybe we'll do a couple of playthroughs because those are kind of fun and people like to see those too. Or I don't know. Maybe we'll do another virtual gig. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to really do much planning in this time and place right now. It's very strange. Right. Well, at least you have, you know, a bunch of different things on the table, a lot of different possibilities that even without the ability to go out and play that you guys can still keep, you know, people's interest in the band uh, while all of this is going on. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, you know, we've been a little shy about um, a little bit shy, I think because of maybe our, our, our age, but we're, we're a little bit shy to social media, you know, compared to some other bands, especially the new, younger bands who fully embraced it. Uh, we're involved in it, but we're just not uh, 100% on it because it's, you know, it's, we're like the old people who don't know how to text, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we've actually done a couple things uh, recently that were, were engaging and pretty fun uh, in, interacting with, with fans and stuff. And again, it's like, if this is all you have and this is the only way you can do it, uh, we're going to totally embrace it, you know, so we might be doing more of these kind of things where, you know, we, we, we do, uh, whatever radio station takeovers, or we're going to do, uh, I, IGTV, uh, hangouts or something, you know, and people mm-hmm. can hang out with us and ask us questions, you know, and we'll just engage with them. I mean, if this is all we have, we, if we can't go on tour and we can't go out and shake people's hands anymore for now, for the next who knows how long, then this is this is what we have to do, and so we're we're 100% willing to do that. So I think you can expect us to be a little more active uh, socially in that way on the internet. <laughs> okay, and where should people go to keep up with everything that you have going on, from Armored Saint to Fate's Warning to Motor Sister or, or anything else Joey Vera related? Um, that's a good question. I do have a website, although it's fairly outdated, which <laughs> thanks for reminding me. I need to start updating that. Uh, but I do have a website. It's just joeyvera.com. Okay. Uh, I know that's su- super original, but, um, 
That's uh, that's the website, and uh, you know, I uh, you can even drop me uh, notes there. I do check email there once in a while, um, but uh, my general information is there. You know about me and discographies and stuff like that, and and news stuff. Although you just reminded me, it's very outdated. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to write down a note as soon as we hang up uh, to fix that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that you can go there, joyvera.com. And, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, armoredsaint.com is, uh, we have a, a newly, uh, designed website just recently and it looks much better and it's really cool and super informative. It's got all kinds of stuff there. So, uh, you can get all the information for Saint there. And, uh, and of course, uh, fateswarning.com too. There's a website, uh, that Fates has that's got a lot of up-to-date stuff there. So, um, yeah, you know, that's about it. Okay. When does the Fates Warning album drop? Do you know? I think it's it's early November. I think it's the ninth, maybe. It's right around there. November, early, early, first two weeks of November. It's very close to the Armed Saint record, which is, I think this is the first time this ever happened in, in the 20-some years I've been in Fates. Um, so it's, it's a... Pretty kooky. <laughs> uh, it's pretty close. Yeah, it's got to be exciting for you to have two albums come out so close to one another. I'm, you know, I, I, if I didn't mention this, I, I before I'm an extremely lucky person uh, to be so busy this year and uh, have, uh, yeah, like you said, these two records and Motor Sisters actually in the middle of making a record too. We got we got shut down because of COVID. Uh, so the studios aren't open yet. So we, we, we're going to go back and finish that. Hopefully if we can find a studio that will open up for us for a uh, long enough to do it. Um, so I'm lucky and busy and we've got all these projects with different things. And, and uh, it means a lot to me to be involved with um, all these different people and bands and stuff. So for me, I'm, I feel lucky. And then I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm grateful for it. You know, I just hope that all, you know, all three bands aren't all touring at the same time <laughs> next year. So that and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. It doesn't happen. And I try to find my way around that. <laughs> Navigate those waters. Have all three play together. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'd be one tired dude. Let me tell you if I had to do that. I was going to say you'd sleep well at night. Um <laughs> I asked John this yesterday. Um, if you could pick a song off of the new album that stands out to you that you'd want us to uh, end with and tell us a little bit about the track, uh, he picked Missile to Gun. Uh, what would oh, your choice cool. be? Well, I want to go a little outside the box. Um, uh, you know, this record has, I don't know, in my opinion anyway, it has a little bit of a for everybody kind of thing. Um, it's got a lot of diversity, and I think it'll appeal to large section section of the fan base. And uh, I'll pick a song that's a little bit outside the box, and that would be "Lone Wolf." It's, it's one of my favorites on the record. Um, I think maybe because um, it has it has some familiar uh, Armored Saint kind of groove in it, mm-hmm. um, but on the other side of the foot, I feel like, uh, was able to interject some things that are 
very simplified and stripped down and almost I probably pulled some things in from uh, R&B influences. Um, in particular, there's a B section in the song that's between the verse and the choruses. And uh, it's basically an R&B chord progression. And I believe I wrote that part on the piano huh. originally. And uh, I turned it in, rewrote it, and replayed it on the guitar and made it more into a rock context. But originally wrote that. And it's kind of just a, it's an R&B chord progression. And if you, if I played it for you and put a wah-wah on it, <laughs> you'd say, oh yeah, that sounds, that could be in a Sly Stone song, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm proud of it because I was, I feel like I succeeded in melding these things together and making it sound like a, uh, a song that has, it has both some sense of uh, history from Armored Saint, but it's also got this really modern kind of interesting outside the box take. And, uh, and John wrote great lyrics to it. And it's, uh, it's got great melodies and great vocals and lots of layers. And it's just one of those songs that feels, you know, it's not a super long song, but it has this really big, epic uplifting thing to it. Um, that I think is really appealing. So, uh, I think that was, uh, I think that your their listeners will get a, get an earful on that one. I shit you not. I woke up with that song in my head today, and I've had it in my head all day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so very That's cool. Great. Go, little lone wolf off of Punching the Sky by Armored Saint. A lot of people have already received this album. It officially comes out tomorrow, October 23rd. I should actually be receiving it at some point today. We'll see about that. And um, I want to thank Joey. I want to thank Nikki Law from Metal Blade for making this happen. Again, always a ton of fun to talk to Joey or anyone from Armored Saint for that matter. Uh, pick the album up. It's definitely album of the year material, at least in my opinion. And yeah, um, just to double check, he or just to confirm, I should say, Long Day, Good Night by Fate's Warning comes out on November 6th. So exactly what he said. Um, what I've heard so far sounded good to me. I'm not the biggest Fate's Warning fan. Uh, but even still, 
sound cool to me. I know that some diehards have been digging what they've been releasing so far. At least one of the two songs, I saw pretty good reviews. The other one, you know, I saw some middle-of-the-road reviews. But it is what it is, you know, when you get into diehard territory. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you guys for all your support and hope you enjoyed this episode. We're going to leave it with a little more Armored Saint. Uh, We're going to get into track two off of Symbol of Salvation. This is dropping like flies. Thanks again for listening and see ya. Listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 